I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. James, welcome to Sweden. Huh? Huh? I'm bringing you into Sweden. I'm from Sweden. I'm not in Sweden. I'm uh, sitting in my office in uh, in Toronto, um, drinking a nice cup of tea. How was uh, How's your trip? How's it over in Stockholm? It is awesome here. I really, really, really am digging it. The strangest thing, though, is the the sunshine thing. Um, like literally, so I'm walking back to the hotel today. We're recording this on Wednesday in. Wednesday afternoon it is in Stockholm and like 3.30 and it is pitch black. It is like very yeah. disorienting. Like you're like, wait a second. Is it is it 11? No, no, no. It's 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 3.30. It's 4. So that's been weird, but everything else and, and kind of interesting, but everything else is amazing here. So cold yeah. too, right? Like it's 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 colder there than it is in, in it's Toronto chilly. right now. Yes, it's chilly. Yeah. It's uh, it's chilly. Uh, so the Leafs are here. Obviously, they're going to play two games, uh, Friday and Sunday. Um, so there's lots. Like we, they haven't played for a few days now and won't play again. Obviously, until Friday. But there's lots to talk about. There's lots of interesting stuff. Before we get into what I have designated, what you don't know because I don't tell you. Uh, is there something on your mind that you want to touch on first? No. Uh, to be honest with you, I came in kind of with a uh, okay a blank sheet. Today, because uh, well, for first of all, we were going to record tomorrow, and it got changed at the last minute to today, which is fine. But uh, because of me, we should say I didn't have a, I didn't have a great deal of show prep ready to go. Mostly, I'm I'm curious, like what it's been like over there interacting with the team and and how they're approaching this. And um, I mean, they haven't done a, a trip over to Europe in a long time, right? Like, you know, have you ever gone to Leafs games in Europe since you've covered the team? Never, never. And I think actually that's that's kind of brings me to where I think we should start. And like this is a William Neander trip in, in lots of ways. And obviously the way he started the season, the way he's been playing the last little bit before, you know, we record here. I think he's the natural place to start because he's the star of this whole thing. Like you look at the the four teams that are here, he's the biggest Swedish star and arguably playing the best of anyone here and, you know, right there with anyone in the NHL. Um, as we get further and further along this becomes kind of more normal for him. How much of this do you think can be sustained? How much do you think is, is just him being hot? You know, it's only, we're not even 20 games in the season. Where do you stand on his start to the season? I mean, I, 
I don't think it is just like a hot streak. I don't think it is just him getting lucky bounces. I mean, he's he's playing great, you know, and it's just the um I was going to say effort, but I don't know if that's the right word. It's, it's, it's just like kind of like the drive that he's showing. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I, I, lots of people have highlighted it, but it's just it's kind of like he's hitting the top gear or a gear that we haven't seen more and more and more on more plays and he's I'm glad I took him in the hockey pool <laughs> this year. I, you know, and I, I hope I, I think I got him with 35th pick. Wow. I mean, it's a pretty safe bet he's going to be better than 35th best player in the league this year. So, um, you know, last year was a, a breakout year for him. Was it 40 goals? I think 87 points, which was Correct. kind of like a new plateau for him. And it looks like that's going to be easy for him this year. And like I said, I mean, it's the, the, the eye test says that it's real. The, the analytics say that it's real. I mean, maybe there's going to be a little bit of a dip at some point. Maybe he's not going to finish, you know, fourth or fifth in NHL scoring. But he's playing. He's playing absolutely fantastic. And, you know, if the Leafs can get some of their other elements to their game in order, you know, they don't really need to worry about Matthews and, and Nylander right now because they've been so good. Yeah, I think the word you were trying to hit on to me is is one that, that's come up a lot over the years, and that's engagement. I don't know if that's the perfect word, but that's the word that, that has usually come up with William Nylander, whether it was with Mike Babcock, whether it's now with Sheldon Keefe. And it's just like in the past, it would be like he would he would do that for he would be really engaged for five games. And then like for five games, he was quieter. And now it's like he's he's engaged all the time. Like you just notice him. He kind of is dominating in a way consistently game to game, night to night, shift to shift kind of thing that we haven't seen like him sustain. And it's just like, you get this vibe from him now where it's like, he knows he's one of the best players. He's his confidence is like shining through in the way like Tavares noticed in, in the way mentioned, like in the way he's shooting the puck and you just notice him like every night in a way that you didn't totally always in the past. And that was kind of the thing with the owner. It's like, well, there's these dips. And, and one of the things that he's tried to do is, is, eliminate those dips and make them shorter and there were a couple games before this most recent stretch where he was quieting down a bit and but it was only like two games and then he was back um and to your point like as far as like the shooting percentage on ice shooting percentage none of that stuff suggests he's been like insanely lucky that it's not going to continue so that's that's mighty interesting for the Leafs and obviously the contract becomes pretty interesting as to what does it look like? When does it get done? I mean, does this tell you anything like about the risks of just not getting it done in the summer? Like, doesn't that kind of confirm why you don't want to wait on these things? Or do you just think, you know what, maybe he'll cool down or it won't matter? I don't know. Well, I think that, I don't know that the price, I think the price was really high in the summer too, right? Like, I don't think there was, right. It didn't, it didn't seem like there was like some sort of compromise number there. I think what, Nylander has done is just put an exclamation point on, hey, like that that big number that I wanted, this is proof that I'm worth it. Yeah, so. good call. Yeah. And you're gonna have to pay it. Like it's not it's not a question now. You're gonna have to pay it if you wanna keep me, basically. His camp his camp's not floating out any numbers, so you know, it's there's a little bit of, of guesswork involved, but I think that probably the number he's looking for is something that's you know, starts with a ten. Right, I, and I, sure. I don't think that that's different. 
I don't think that that's different. I don't think that the, the number of what they want now is that much different than what they wanted in the summer. It's just that it's getting harder, I think, probably on the Leafs side to argue that he's not worth that. Well, if I'm him, like the more that this sustains itself, the more I'm going to look at that Pasternak number and say, like, I should be closer to him and closer to Marner and closer to Matthews than I obviously am now. Like you look at what he's making now is his cap hit is 98th in, in the NHL. It's well below, obviously, Marner and Matthews. I mean, if I'm his camp, I'm saying, like, why am I not being paid? I'm, I'm talking now as Neilander. Why am I not being paid as much as Marner? Like, I, I'm every bit as good as he is. And and you can't really make the case that he isn't right now. Like, even the some of the stuff that used to be detractions with him, his defensive play, it's not like perfect. He's not obviously in the class of Marner and Matthews. But he's killing penalties now. He's making an impact killing penalties. He's he had the shorthanded goal for the first time in his career. Like it's getting it's getting harder to say that he's not in their echelon in terms of pay because he's playing as well or better than both. Yeah, I mean Pasternak three seasons with more than forty goals, including one season with sixty one goals. Yep, Pasternak had one hundred and thirteen points last year. He had had ninety five points previously in a year. His his resume is better than Neilanders. Like, there's no question. Yes, I agree. Pasternak, but Pasternak got eleven eleven two five. But it, but can so. I interrupt you for a second, James? Like, he got that in March when he was basically at like heading towards sixty and one thirteen or whatever you said it was. We could mm-hmm. get to a point where it's March and and Neilander is is sniffing. I don't know. Like, maybe he's got fifty or is close to fifty by then probably not at 50 by then, but like he's in the ballpark where he's rounding towards that number. Like right now he's on pace for 55 and 120. So like, that's not far off what Pasternak got when he got extended. And and I think the yeah, Pasternak case is, it's not yeah. one season though, Jonas, right? Correct. Like when correct. Pasternak had, had had like three or four big years, he'd had some big post seasons, you know? Yeah, fair. He should, I, I'm not saying he's better than Pasternak. I'm saying he, like if I'm him, he's trending closer towards that. I mean, you heard some of the stuff in the summer, like the, the numbers that were being tossed around and it's like, well, they want to get him for something in the eights. And it's like, you're kidding yourself and like i remember i wrote about it in the summer yeah. and thought like something in the nines made sense and i think i was kidding myself like something in the nines i don't think makes sense anymore i think something in the tens is is more appropriate for the player he's becoming like well the only argument on the leaf side is that they're the one team that can give him the eight-year deal right so that right. they can add on they can add on more money so is is neilander and, and the other like we know neilander wants to stay too right. so Maybe there's some common ground here that's high nines or something like that. I mean, uh, I would be surprised by that now, those, man. I don't. That's not based on yeah. any intelligence. Like from what I understand, it's it's remains quiet on that front. But I would be surprised now if it's in the nines. Like I just don't. I just don't think you can make the case that he's not. He should be like if I'm him. Marner's going to be getting another contract not that long from now, which might start with a twelve. Why, if I'm Neilander, am I taking something in the nines? You know what I mean? Well, I don't know what Marner's case would be to get a big raise from where he's at now. But 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 what's a big raise? Like he's making basically eleven now. He's not going to get eleven. Right. Uh, like he's not going to want. You know what I mean? I like he's going to want gonna something higher. I mean, there's only there's only two guys in the NHL that have a cap hit that's more than eleven point six this season. Yeah. Well, so I don't. I don't we'll see, see Marner putting himself. Yeah. Um, I mean, the cap going up is is a consideration. I mean, even the 10 number, like there's 15 guys in the entire NHL that make 10 plus, and I'm including, you know, like 
Carey Price, you know, who is not even playing. There's only 15 cap hits. Yeah. At 10 plus. I, I guess the, the thing I would say like to that, and I think it's a good point. If I'm his agent, Lewis Gross, I'm looking ahead to the summer and saying, I mean, your point about the, the extra year is important, but I'm looking to the summer and I'm saying he's going to be the best free agent. I'll, I'll take my chances. You don't want to pay it. Like I'm pretty sure I'll get someone else to pay it in the summer. Yeah. But get someone else to pay what? 10? Sure. Yeah. So, but to your point, the extra year matters in that context for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the most the team could give him would be 70 million. I mean, the, the Leafs said eight years, eight years by 8.75 is the same money. So if the Leafs are doing eight years at nine point, I don't know, whatever. I mean, we don't need to, I know, I know some fans are get annoyed when you, a player plays well and you just talk about the contract. I mean, we had Chris Johnston on the show a few weeks ago and he said he thought this was going to get done because Nylander wants to stay. The Leafs want to keep him. It's just a matter of finding where the number is. And I think that you know, obviously, if Nylander has a 50-goal season, that puts him in a different echelon. You know, before I had him in kind of like the Philip Forsberg echelon, just based on career numbers. Yeah. If you look at Pasternak's numbers, they're like his career numbers. They're significantly better than Nylander. Like Pasternak's averaged like better than a 40-goal season his entire career. Nylander's had one 40-goal season. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at his numbers now. Like if you do, if you look at the full yeah. career, yeah, you're right. But it, like Pasternak has over 300 goals in like 600 games. Like his numbers are, he has 640 points in 600 in some games. Like he's well over a point a game, well over for averaging 40 goals a season. Whereas Nylander, when you look at him, he was more like in the echelon. But you add in last year, and then this year, if he has a monster year, that's going to put him in a different. A different stratosphere. It's going to put him in the conversation. I don't think with a Pasternak, but probably put him in a conversation with. Uh, yeah, the next tier below. Yeah. So what, what? The next. I mean, I mean, put him in the conversation with like probably with like a Marner. I mean, it would make sense. Or, I mean, Huberdeau's at a big number now with what he got in Calgary. Huberdeau's at ten five. Um, well, and that that right there, like, are you not just? I mean, he had one hundred fifteen point season, so I guess that's part of it. I mean, I'm looking Good, at some. Goudreau got 9.75. Yeah. He was also older than, than Nylander will be, I believe. Uh, he was, oh, or actually maybe right around the same age. Uh, I mean, Jack Eichel is making 10. Center. Yeah, but he's so. a center. I'm, yeah, I was trying to like find like a the best comparable. You know, anyway. Matthew Kachuk's new deal is 9.5. Like I, th- I think something in, you know, whereas before I was arguing for low nines or around nine, I think that he's pushing himself higher than that. So, I mean, I don't, it, it, it's hard to get a read on the number that's going to make Nylander happy and make his, his camp happy, like just what, what that is. Well, I just think we have experience here where I remember the conversations that were being had the last time. And obviously a lot of that was Pasternak driven and it was Nylander's camp basically saying he wants to be paid basically like Pasternak and he ended up being paid basically like Pasternak. And I think your point, it, it's a really good point that Pasternak has had the better career, the more consistent career. He like, he was a heart trophy finalist last year. He, the owner has not been that. I would be surprised if he, I mean, not so surprised. Like if he was ever nominated for the heart, you'd be a little surprised. He wouldn't be like blown away. Um, 
but anyway, we'll, we'll see. This is this is uh, an improvement. Obviously, he just continues to to trend upward, and that was always the thing that that frustrated me with that with covering that that contract, whatever stalemate was. People were missing. I, I thought it was being missed that the contract was about where he was going, not what he was. Like he was just going to continue to get better. I remember even writing like, "Is he going to become a forty goal scorer, a fifty goal scorer, a hundred point guy?" And I, I just thought that that was the point being missed. It, it was all focused on like, what is he today? He's not as good as Pasternak. He's not worth this. And it's like now for like three years or even more, like he's outplayed that contract by a lot. So, yeah, and, I mean, in all the he's made all the like hot takes around yes. the time when the last deal was signed look really stupid because yeah, you know, he's quite obviously one of the most dangerous players in the entire league now. All right, uh, we got a bunch to get to. We're also going to have Josh Cloak on. He's also in Sweden with me here. Uh, he wrote a really gro- great story about Tommy Bergman that I want to talk to him about, or we're going to talk to him a bit about. Um, before we go to more Leaf stuff, uh, I do think we should touch on the Calgary defense and those guys potentially being up for grabs. Obviously, Nikita Zadorov has requested a trade. That's notable. That happened like literally minutes after the game they played in Toronto. Um, of what, a, those what a strange situation to strange. Like, request a trade. Like as the game ends, and then he requests a trade, and then it comes out. Chris Johnston reported that he's interested in going to Toronto. It's like they lose in a they lose in a shootout to the Leafs, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm out of here. I want to go play for the team that that's winning more games than we are." I got to be honest. Like I was thinking about it after I, I wrote about this on Friday. That's a little bit of a red flag for me. Is it for you? Like at all? Like requesting a trade like i don't know uh, i don't know not like not like i would I mean, not the, do the deal if i were them but it would like make me want to know more all that matters for the leaps is if he's going to help you on the ice like yeah but like it, mean, it's do you it's want him weird, coming but it's weird like it just suggests that I mean, maybe Matthew Kachuk requested a trade do you not want him yeah but that you're taking this that's not the same thing. He's he's clearly wanting to play more on a defense that includes five guys who are just or four guys who are better than him. Like who does he who does he want to play more than? Does he want to play more than Rasmus Anderson? No. Or should he play more than Anderson? No. Should he play more than Hannafin? No. Should he play more than Tanev? No. Should he play more than who's the the, the other guy I'm missing in their top four? Like well, he, I think he, the thing that people need to keep in mind with Zadorov is he's probably like a a number five defenseman, right? So like, that's what he is on the, their know, team. Like on the Leafs, he might be like a four, but like, yeah. Anyway, but like at most he's at most, he's a four. Like at he's most, not, yes. People get excited kind of with like the size and the style of play. And I, I like Zadorov. Like, I think he's a real solid NHL defenseman. Um, he had 14 goals last year, which I think it's a lot to expect that regularly from him, but it's not like he has no offense. But, you know, good defensively. But he's a guy that, you know, in his career, in Calgary, he's averaged 17 minutes, 53 seconds a game. That's what he's played there in the, yep. you know, two seasons and a bit that he's been in Calgary. His career, that's a right about where he is. I mean, that's that's what he is. And you're playing 18 minutes a game. You're a number five in the NHL. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, the Leafs penalty kill, they need, they need someone like him. They need someone that can play defensive minutes. I mean, you, you could think about, I mean, where would, where would you play him? I mean, you could, well, potentially I, you could think about. I thought he could Riley, kind of maybe? play with anyone. Like, I don't, I think I'd yeah. keep Riley Brody, but like maybe you could play him with McCabe and that's your second pair. Like it's not, mm-hmm. I mean, Frankie Corrado and I were talking about it at the game and, and he asked me like, 
actually, maybe I asked him. I, I said, like, if you, or no, he asked me, which of those defense would you want first, like for the Leafs? And he said Zadorov, and I said Tanev. And you could, I mean, obviously, Hannafin makes a ton like of sense Hannafin. for them as well. I think if I was ranking, like, obviously, best in best fits, I think you might go Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov. I, I mean, let me ask you, like, who do you think is the best fit for them? I think that getting someone like Hannafin, who's more of a two-way guy that can help you, I mean... Some of the thinking with the Klingberg thing was like, oh, we need another defenseman that can produce offense that can move the puck, and that's where Hannafin would come in and be, yes, be really effective. The tough, tough thing with Hannafin is that I, I think you probably have a better chance of getting Zadorov or Tanev resigned. Um, Zadorov's mm. twenty eight, I think. Yeah. I think if you're trading for a guy like I, you want it there to be a conversation about potentially keeping them beyond this season. Agree. Now, the the tough tough thing with Tanev is that he's old, you know. He's old. <laughs> he's old, and the Leafs have a pretty old blue line right now, but he's had a real big bounce back. Like, I remember when he left Vancouver, and there was talk, like, he's had so many injuries. Like, is he still effective? He, I think he had a really tough final year there in Vancouver, and he's had a real renaissance in Calgary. And he's the kind of, you know, right shot, hard-nosed, really good defensively, not going to give you a lot offensively. He's they're, they're like Stylistically, I think they all fit with the Leafs, which is so interesting that there's yes. 3D with one team that are all pending UFAs, and it's the, the Leafs GM's former team. <laughs> yes, right, who acquired all those players in the first place for that team. I agree with you. Like I, I actually think it makes a lot of sense I don't know how you'd get this done. I think it would be a complicated trade to get two of them. And I think if I were picking the first two, I'd pick Hannafin and Tanev. I think the, the other point with Tanev, you hit on all the stuff that I think is important. Um, I, I think he would greatly help their penalty kill. Like they, they really need him on their penalty kill. And I wonder, James, like I have, I have no idea. Toronto guy, end of his career, like maybe he's willing to do the Giordano. Like they could just repeat the Giordano and maybe he'll take like, I don't know something really cheap to stay. Obviously, again, that's like you're, you're you got old D, and like, do you keep Brody, who's around the same age? And so that's like another part of this whole thing. Like, I think the important question, or one of the important questions with Hannafin, is do you think it's worth re-signing him? Because you're probably looking at a long-term deal with a cap hit of. I don't know, seven million, something in that seven range, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Uh, and and part of what what would worry me about that is they've already committed a long term to Morgan Riley, who Hannafin's not Riley, but he's also not going to be on your first power play. He's not going to be on your first penalty kill. He's mm. not like your. He's not your Jake Muzzin esque defender who's going to be you like. Think- don't you think, Jonas, that the Leafs need one more defenseman who's uh, kind of in I, that? Yeah. Maybe you just say, yeah. you know what, we're just going to add another good D, D, and this is what good top four D cost, and we'll go from there. I don't well, know. Well, if you look around the league, like the good teams, most of them, have, they don't just have one guy that makes more than $5 million. Like, they've got a couple of guys. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right. Like, you look at Vegas, obviously, they have all those guys. Yeah, you're right. Just just add, and, and obviously, Brody's $5 million cap hit is going to come off the books after this year. Klingberg's $4 million. Right. Like you're right. going to have so, room. And the cap goes up. So if you're paying Hannafin seven point something, I mean, like theoretically it fits in. I don't know. I haven't done any digging. Like, I mean, he's he's American. Does he want to play in Toronto, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, he was in in pretty detailed talks with Calgary about staying there. So, but I, I think that I, in an ideal world, you you got to start thinking about your blue line. You don't want to just like trade assets for a rental over and over and over again. You don't want to just bring in Luke Shen and Ryan O'Reilly and then they they and they walk and like ideally whatever trade you make on defense, you want to think about what your blue line looks in the medium term. Like you want to set yourself up for the next two or three years. And realistically, it's yes. hard to think that Tanov at his age is going to be able to do that. Maybe Zadorov helps you as like a four or five guy. You could get him re-signed. But I would worry like Zadorov's probably going to want more than he's worth. Like you look wow. at the contracts for what big physical veteran defensemen get. Like as a UFA, Zadorov's going to get a big number. Well, look at the contract he's coming off now. Isn't he making almost $4 million? Three seven five. Three right? seven five. yeah. So I'm just thinking like two. Th- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. He's going to want, he's going to want like five. And you want to pay him $5 million if, as we said off the top, he's kind of like maybe a number five defenseman. I would rather pay a guy who can play in your top pair seven-something than, you know, well, someone let me who's throw, throw a, down the lineup. Let me throw a hypothetical at you to your point about projection. Let's say you, you some, you're the Leafs and you somehow trade for Hannafin and Tanev and, and you're able to sign them both. Let's say, let's say Hannafin takes, I don't know, something in the sevens and Tanev takes, I don't know, some sort of hometown discount. Now you're looking at the defense for next year. I still don't know if this is good enough, but I, I, it's an improvement. So let's say your, your defense looks like this. You have a top pair, let's say hypothetically, Riley Tanev. Then on your second pair, you got Hannafin with Lilligren. And then like they still have McCabe signed. They still have Timmons signed. And there's your third pair. I think that's, so that's pretty your defense. Good. It's not bad, right? I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good, Jonas. Right? But, you know, it's... So you, you would have cleared Klingberg's money. Yep. Brody. Um... And Brody's money. And Jordan's so 800 nine, 9.2. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have to, your defense is going to be more expensive, probably. I mean, depending on what I guess what Tanev wants on a deal. Yeah. I, I mean, you could end up just basically moving that 9.2 to those two combined, right? Like, I guess, again, I think they're probably going to cost wants. a little bit more than that, but yeah. 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 So anyway, that's interesting. Um, let's take a break. Uh, and then I want to talk Klingberg. I want to talk that Domi line, a little bit about the fourth line, and then we will get to Cloak. All right, James. Uh, so we haven't dove, dive, dove, 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 dive. You're having a hard time with your English. You've been learning <laughs> Swedish over there. We haven't talked much uh, about what's happened with, with John Klingberg in the last week, obviously, because we haven't recorded. We, we, we've talked about his struggles, obviously, on the ice. Um, it got kind of weird last week with the scratch, an apparent injury that we had never heard of before. Now he's not practicing because of that injury and he's not going to play on Friday. I don't know what to make of this whole situation. Um, what, what do you make of it? Like, where, where do you think this is headed? Well, I mean, I think that I, it's not headed in a good direction for him. Now, I will say the, he played the the Vancouver game, and I thought he played pretty well. Me too. So it it is in him to do that. Um, he needs to simplify his game. He yes. needs to just. It's like he's overthinking every play and falling all over the ice. And the the comment from Keith after the oh, what what game was that? The Wednesday game last Ottawa. Week. They could, the 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 talk that we need to protect him better. It's like I don't know. Like he's playing offensive zone faceoffs. He's playing third pairing minutes with some of the injuries they've 
had to use him a little bit more. I think Keefe's figured out that he, he just can't, even with injuries, he can't play Klingberg more than like on the third pair. Like that's his his limitations. But do you have a sense of what the injury is with Klingberg or uh, if there's an injury? Like is it just like bumps and bruises kind of stuff? Uh, well, they obviously have declined to say, which is becoming something of something that they do from time to time. Sometimes not. Sometimes they do. I thought I saw, was it Darren Dreger? I, I thought I saw a report about a hip. Um, but again, they're not saying. And, and honestly, I don't know what to think of the whole thing because literally, like he missed a little bit of camp with another undisclosed injury. They didn't say what that one was. Then they mentioned, it never comes up. Literally, like he doesn't miss practice. He practices every, everything is, is fine. And then there's that Wednesday game you're referring to where, where Keith was really mad after the game. Understandably so. They kept giving up four goals. And it doesn't come up then. And then the, he's becoming like a an Aki Berg type, Larry Murphy topic of conversation in the city. And then suddenly after, actually not even after, not even the next day after practice does the injury come up. Doesn't come up then when he's asked about Klingberg. And then Friday, just when they're about to scratch him, is when they say he has an injury and he's not going to play. So it's hard to know what to make of the significance of the injury if it was not an issue, clearly, for weeks. So well, I, they're I, saying I, he's not going to play in, in the first game in Sweden as well. Yeah, so like, is that, I mean, he's not practicing either, so now is has the injury suddenly gotten worse? Or are they... Is it a way to just give him a break and like kind of catch your breath, I reset? That's, that's what I thought I initially. Right. But it's like, well, I mean, it it could be like a minor injury he tried to play through, and things spiraled on him, and now they're. I mean, we've seen this in the past, right? So the team's like, you know what? Like, let's just. They didn't go the full nuclear route that I was talking about last week in in the column that I wrote, which was it was getting close to the point in time where you think about putting him on waivers or or just dumping him in some sort of, I don't know if you could trade him or not, probably not, but like that that's the path that he was on. So rather than do that, they're going to dial him back, play him less. They're carrying seven defensemen right now. So, and Seaman Benoit and Legison have been fine. So maybe you just play him in half the games and, let him recover both mentally and physically and hope that you can rebuild his game a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, it's, it's trending to a, towards a place it feels like today. And obviously that can change to where he's just not on the team for whatever reason, whether that's they wave him, whether they trade him, whether they, I don't know, like that, it, this just doesn't feel right right now for lots of reasons, but to your point, like that Vancouver game might like might have been the best game we played for them. Like, and it was it was yep. exactly what you said. It was his decision making was better. Like he just didn't make bad decisions with the puck, bad decisions defending. I so I don't know how you harness that more. Maybe it's to your point. You just don't play him as much. But yeah, it's it's he played so, nineteen minutes against Vancouver. But I mean, they had a lead there, so they the minutes in that game were. You know, I, I the fourth line looked a hell of a lot better with Reeves not playing, uh, getting Bobby McMahon in there. Segway, James. The, the, the that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, mean, the, I was going to say the challenge for the Leafs is going to be when Timmons comes back and then when Logren gets back, 
um, even when Timmons go. comes back, they, they, yeah, they get tight against the cap, right? So, you know, the D-Day big decision for Reeves and Klingberg is going to be the cap is going to be a factor, you know, and they might have to go dip back down to a 20-player roster. And if you have two guys you don't feel great about playing, that's when you'd have to think about waving one or both of them. If I had told you, and I think I know the answer to this, and I was once told not to ask a question that I know the answer to, but if I had told you that in the 15th game, <laughs> if I had told you in the 15th game that, that Ryan Reeves would be a healthy scratch, would you, like, I'm guessing, I know, I don't think you would have been surprised. Like, if I had told no. you that the day they signed him, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it tracks. Well, I mean, the only reason they couldn't healthy scratch him is because they weren't able to carry extra forwards at the start of the year, right? Like they had no choice. Yeah, it's part of like they're they're so tight to the cap they they don't even they they had didn't even have the option for him to be a part time player. It was it, shocking it, how much a, better that line. Not shocking, like it was revelatory. Like that line looks so much better with Bobby McMahon there yeah. in his place. Like it it wasn't even the same thing. Yeah, and it wasn't even like Bobby McMahon lit the world on fire, but it's just like, th- 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 this is what we've been harping on for months, is that like you need purpose, you need a, the line to have a purpose. And if you're playing camp with Reeves, not only is Reeves ineffective, everybody else on the line is ineffective. Camp's not going to be able to do anything. And you, and you can't use him in his defensive role either. Yeah. Whereas if you have a line that's Gregor, Camp, McMahon, you can play them defensive minutes. You know, mm-hmm. you can... You can get them out there for an energy shift. You know, Gr- Gregor Camp McMahon should be, it's probably one of the better fourth lines the Leafs have had over the last few years. It really seems like Gregor's like settling in and like getting things figured out. Like, I mean, it's easy to say that after he has the, he, he puts puts the puck in the net, but. But you, know, you do I notice two things with him every night, James. You notice how fast he is, and you notice he gets a million shots at the net. Now, like a lot yeah. of them haven't gone in, but those things every night, he's bringing those two things. He and works I think, his ass off. Like yeah, he works hard, he's, too. Yeah. And and you know what, James, to your point about the, the purpose of the line, I was watching that Ottawa game, and I was thinking to myself, with Reeves, like they can't play him when they're down, and they can't really play them when they're ahead. So like, when do you play him? Like you can play him in the first period like and then like I, I mean i think what is it 11 to nothing they've been outscored when he's on the ice like some of that like not being on the ice for any goals for is like just bad luck and there's probably like a degree of bad luck the other way too but yeah like i don't i don't know where this goes like i i wonder if it just goes to what you wrote about where i don't know a month from now whenever Lilligren comes back like he's just on waivers and that's it and it's over well i mean if that fourth line continues to play really well with with Gregor, Kampf, and McMahon, you, how can you justify breaking it up and sending McMahon down just because you don't want to wave Reeves? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but like it didn't make sense signing him in the first place. So like I don't I don't know. Like I, I kind of feel like like I don't know if they'll treat him differently because of who he is, like how long he's been in the league, like all that, that stuff, like as part of why they signed him. So I don't know. I mean, it's also What's like it's not a good in Sweden. Like, do you think Reeves is going to play both the games in Sweden? Don't know. I, I I mean, I don't. To your point, like, I don't know how you justify changing it for the first game. Like, I don't know. Do you wait till someone has a bad game and put him back in? Like, it gets this. This is exactly what happened with 
Simmons. It happened with Clifford. It happened to all these types of guys that they've tried to bring Colton in the Orr. intangible. Yeah, Colton Orr, where it's just like- How far back you want to go? Yeah, like one game you can't play him, and then it's like, oh, we look better without him. Like, should we put him back in? And then you put him back in, it's bad again. Like, he- it just, yeah. Anyway, um, before we get to Cloak, let's talk briefly about the Max Domi at center thing. It's clearly not something that they were planning to go to right away because they went through a lot of different machinations before they got to it. Do you buy yeah, this? I wonder or why do they you don't think, like, like it so like, much. Do you think it works? I mean, I, when they signed him, that's where I thought they should play him. I thought he should be the third. And, and not because he's amazing at center, but mostly because the Leafs need... They need to get some offense from the bottom six. Well, it's, and, and it's to interrupt you, James. And they need another center. That first day, I asked Brad True Living, like, do you see him as a center? And he said, initially, we have him slotted on the wing. Continue. Go right. ahead. But I just think that you look at all the different permutations of the lineup and how are you going to get offense from the bottom six? And how are you going to have a center other than Camp as your third line center? And Domi was the best option to me. And and I believe, like, I think if you go back to July, right when they signed Domi, I had Robertson and Domi on that third line. And people were like, well, they're going to be bad defensively. It's like, yeah, I know, but they're going to give you something else. You know, the first, whatever, 12, 13 games of the season, like, there just wasn't really an identity for the Leafs' bottom six. Now you've got one. I really like the way they looked against Vancouver. It was one of their better games of the year for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. Domi just has the puck more as a center. Yeah, and he looks he's faster. Skating, he's skating more. Well, he's not. You're not standing stationary on the wing, right? Like yeah. you're not. You're not waiting for the play to come through you. So the question is, can you live with his defensive mistakes as a center? You just want you want Domi to be able to give back more than he takes away. And it's you know Dallas is a smart team, well coached. They have, you know, same kind of aspirations as the Leafs. And last year they were playing Domi at center on their third line center. And I, I think that provided like they can play well enough defensively to not be a sinkhole for you, provided that they give you some timely offense, which they have been, then you can live with it. And if you have a fourth line that can play defensive minutes, then it helps you because you can give even easier minutes yes. to, to the third line. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I'm still a little dubious about that that stuff that you're talking about. Like I need I want to see it for longer. I want to see it when they're on the road and they don't have last change. Like I want to see all that stuff. Like I, I don't know defensively if you can if Domi Robertson can work. We'll see. I just don't know what the other option is though, Jonas. Like they don't have like a there's not a long list of guys that can be your third line center. I know it, right. it can't be Cav. I, I mean, don't think putting, I mean, you, you obviously you can't put Nylander down on the third line. Like he's like yeah. one of the best players in the league right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is really I mean, like, I don't think there's any other, I mean, Holmberg's not good enough. Holmberg played seven games and was not noticeable at all. This is what they got. Yeah. And that's why like when I, we were thinking about like the road ahead for them and like the concern level recently, it's like, that's why it was hard to look at the team and, and still kind of is and, and be like they're going to be like 100 points 105 110 whatever they were before because like you just looked at the roster and i mean you wrote about this in the summer after they signed some of these guys and it's like how is this supposed to work and so if domi can work that's a big deal obviously the klingberg thing is still huge tbd but 
that would help towards uh, getting everything on track. It's still it's still obviously early. It's about 15 games in for most of the teams in the Atlantic Division. Some teams have played 16. But, you know, it's shaping up that Boston's going to run away again. I mean, Boston's already got an eight-point lead over the Leafs. Again, early. But so if Boston runs away, I mean, the matchup right now in the first round for the Leafs would be Florida. A rematch with the Panthers. Oh, baby. I mean, maybe Tampa, when Vasilevsky gets back, starts to look more formidable. Detroit has come back to the pack a little bit. Detroit's tied with the Leafs now, 18 points in 15 games. Um, but the Leafs are going to be in a real battle again for, are they going to be in that second or the third spot in the Atlantic, assuming that Boston doesn't fall off? Yep. The one year I looked at the division, I said, this is the year that it's all there for them to win the division. And, yeah. <laughs> and Boston just keeps being historic historic yeah. historical that was one of the style guide that i was looking at the other day anyway uh let's take a break and then let's get to joshua Cloak. all right uh so it's a big time now obviously a lot of swedish stuff because we are in sweden joshua cloak and i are in sweden covering the leafs uh i've got a william nylander story coming out very soon joshua will have actually a william nylander story himself at a later date, but the story we want to talk about today is one he wrote on Tommy Bergman, whose name I'm sure everyone knows, but there's never really been much written about him, partly because there was no way to ever talk to him. They didn't really, they don't typically make those types of people available to the media. He obviously lives in Sweden, or does he live in Sweden? Joshua, you can start there. Where did, what did you learn about Tommy Bergman? Where does he live? Um Take us from there. Well, I mean, first of all, Stockholm is beautiful. Like what it's a hell of a city, but Tommy Bergman is also smarter than all of us because he lives in Spain, as I understand it for most. That's what it was. Right. Um, I mean, after 30, 35 years of scouting in Northern Sweden, like why wouldn't you want to move to Spain? Uh, but no, like I, I found, I've always found Tommy Bergman interesting because how does a guy, how does any scout, you know, kind of make his mark, not by finding, you know, talented Swedes in the first round, which he's done, but how has anyone excelled at finding NHL players in the sixth and seventh round? Like what are the odds of, of an NHL player drafted in the seventh round actually like making the NHL and having a 500 plus game career, like really, really low but Bergman has done that consistently, right? Anton Strahlman, Carl Gunnarsson, Pierre Engvall. Um, the names just keep adding up. And it was interesting for me to learn not just how he did it, but like what kind of players or what type of players he scouted for. And I think what I found the most interesting was that, you know, Tommy Bergman was a player, sure, but he was one of the first like handful of Swedes to really crack into the NHL. Right. He was there before Boreas Salming and he had to put up with a lot of stuff once he cracked into the league. Right. He, there was inherent bias from players that, you know, and executives that didn't want non-North Americans in the league. But he put up with player taunting and he developed a really kind of hardened style of play, a North American style of play that allowed him to survive in the league. And I think because he put up with so much stuff and he learned how to deal you know, with cracking into the league, he developed this kind of, I guess I called it like a sixth sense in terms of being able to, to find players and then, you know, in talking to players, really identify 
does this player have that inner mojo, that inner gusto that's going to let them succeed in this league or not? And I think if you look at the players that he did draft, they were a lot of them were overlooked. But, you know, he believed in them and and the Leafs for well over a generation, they were better because of him, right? He didn't uh, play for the Leafs. Oh. So did you get into it all? Like how he ended up having, he's had such a long affiliation with Toronto. I wonder how that came to be. And so, you know, he, he's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, go ahead. He started um, as a, so he started as a, as a coach in Sweden, um, not long after he finished playing. So that kind of helped him just identify talent and identify or, or separate, you know, good players from bad players. Um, he began as a scout for the expansion Mighty Ducks of Anaheim in mm-hmm. 93. Um, you know, and then once there was a few scouts that made their way over to the Leafs in 98, and he was one of them. Um, like it's strange if you look at like his his elite prospects staff page, which is you know the place that a lot of people start for info, it lists him as having started with the organization with the Leafs in 2005. But in talking to him, which was great, I mean, Siegel, you mentioned this, like the Leafs don't often let us talk to these kinds of people behind the scenes. I talked to him for half an hour for this story, and it was fantastic. He actually started in 98, and his biggest kind of, his his way into the Leafs, the way he really made his mark, was drafting Alex Steen at 24 um, in 2002. That was one that I think turned a lot of heads, both in the scouting community and the Leafs organization, because you know, Steen was probably projected to go more like in the second round at that point, but mm-hmm. like everybody, or, you know, like a lot of his picks afterwards, um, Bergman saw something and it was great to talk to him to get his assessments of what he saw at the time. And he was pretty clear. He was like, Alex Steen could have been captain of the Maple Leafs. And, you know, you think about a lot of the players that he drafted and how many were traded away and how, Frankly, like, yeah, that was, that was not a good trade. Well, how many, I was just going to say, how many trades did they lose of players that he drafted to Karask, Anton Strahlman, Carl Gunnarsson? Um, and so, you know, it's not just an eye for talent. It's an eye for, for good people, because a lot of the players he did draft were, you know, a plus humans too. Yeah. Part of me in thinking about that trade, I don't know how you feel, James, but that's not, it's not like quite a great what if. But it's a what if because like to Josh's point, you add up all those little those moves and they all kind of add up into like you're losing good player, you're losing good player. And like Steen wasn't a great player, but he was a good player. And if they had kept him and not made that trade and it was like a terrible trade, it was obviously Carlo Koyakovo was a, a, you know, third pairing kind of guy. And they trade him and Steen for, for Lee Stepniak, who was just kind of a guy and like an OK player, but not really anyone to trade a young up and coming, good defensive, hardworking kind of forward. Like well, the the very next season, Steen had twenty four goals. I mean, yeah. like probably it more than no Stemniak too. Actually, at at that point, yeah, it it made no sense at all. To that that deal was just bizarre. But one of the things like we would hear every year at the draft, and it was it kind of became funny, is like they would just give the like the last pick to to Tommy Bergman. It's like. Maybe they should have given more. And I mean, jo- Joshua, like you, you got into one of these in in the story with Tuka Rask, um, which I thought was pretty interesting that he was not thrilled that they traded Tuka Rask. Well, why would you be right? Like he said, <laughs> yeah. he's like they they'd been like we were searching for a goalie for so long afterwards. Like you're right. Like what if what if they kept a lot of these players? What if they just kept Tuka Rask? And like who knows what would have happened. 
but um you just like this is the this is the importance of having good scouts and trusted scouts and I, I do think it's interesting that you know so many people in the Leafs kind of scouting department have been around for a while Dave Morrison is one of them and and you know Bergman was he mentioned this a few times in our conversation that like he wouldn't have been able to do what he did without having people around him like Dave Morrison who believed in him but yeah i i think if like you look at the some of the other picks that they were just like here you know, Tommy, you take it. Like Leo Komarov is a great example too. You know, he just, he, Victor Stahlberg, guys that they were just like, I don't know, try this. Um, and you wonder if if they would have kind of given him more of a voice, you know, in the mid rounds, what would have changed? But I think what's interesting now too is Tommy's in a part-time role with the Leafs now. He's on a little bit more of a, I guess, a consulting kind of basis. But he's taken their young Swedish scout, uh, Christopher Hedlund, like under his wing. Um, and he's really trying to show him how to develop that same kind of eye for talent. So it's interesting as well that the Leafs are trying to, I don't know, keep his legacy alive by trying to just keep that those kind of ideas in the organization. It's rare in the NHL that you have like a European scout, uh, like uh, – Detroit obviously had it with, uh, I believe it was Hawk and Anderson was the the scout there who found some of their European gems late. But Bergman's one of the only other ones that I can think of where he's just talked about so frequently for the impact that he's had on the Leafs. And the Leafs haven't really been known as a good scouting team in all the years that that we've been around the team. I mean, it's almost 20 years. They've, they've made a lot of mistakes, but they're, Jonas is right. Like their hit ratio has been so much better on the European players and the Swedish players that they probably should have leaned even more in that direction. But I think it's it's you know it's funny you you mentioned kind of like the xenophobia and, and that stuff with Bergman's playing career. Right. I feel like that's been that's been in the Leafs organization a little bit. Where like I think part of the reason Steen got traded is like oh you know not tough enough like kind of like this old the stereotypes. Um, not well, yeah, James, be... do, you, do, you, do you remember, sorry, James, to interrupt you, you remember that draft where it was like a big thing and like a proud thing when they drafted all like North Americans? There was the one Burke draft because obviously that trade comes, that's Cliff Fletcher's final trade and it comes right before Brian Burke takes over and becomes the full-time GM and whatever. So, yeah. I think, I think personally, there was this... I, sorry to interrupt. I think there's something about the the amount of time it can take European guys to come over. Like you look at when European guys are are drafted, especially late round picks, it takes them a long time. Like it's not unheard of for a player to take five years after they were drafted to come over. And I think with some organizations or with some management types, they just don't have the patience. Yeah, but but I think that's true. And I think that's a good point. But I think if you go back and you hit on this this in your story, which everyone should go check out and go to theathletic.com slash leaf report if you haven't signed up. Um, but you hit on the big, like I mentioned, what ifs, a huge, great what if for the Leafs that went the right way is when they took William Nylander eighth overall in 2014. And there was a lot of talk. You remember this, like you both remember this. They should take Nick Ritchie, big North American kid. Like that was the thinking at the time. And I think part of it was you need those kinds of players or, or the past Leafs needed those kinds of players. And you, you know, William Nylander was like this very talented, but he was like kind of like the classic old school stereotype of, of Europeans. Like he was all skill. He wasn't tough. He wasn't any of those things. And if they had taken Nick Ritchie, like where would they be today? Obviously, like, 
you know, they haven't gotten the playoff success they wanted, but like William Neoner is going to be one of the best players ever that they've had. And they could have very well gone the wrong direction. And yeah. I think Josh, like you, you point out in the story that the Tommy Bergman, I mean, take it from there. Like he actually had a big impact on that. Yeah. So I had multiple people that were involved with the Leafs in that draft say Tommy Bergman was the reason why William Nylander was drafted. I don't think, I know that there was talk from the outside, you know, most notably from Don Cherry about the Leafs going for Nick Ritchie at eight in 2014, but I don't think he was really on their board. I think it was down to, or I know it was down to Nylander and Nick Ehlers. And Nick Ehlers would have been a great, or it would have been a very good pick, right? Nick Ehlers has turned out to be a very good player. But what was interesting was just that Bergman, um, because he was he had just been in the game for so long and he had seen the way that the game was changing and trending, he was all in on skill by that point. And you you both remember that in and around that point, you know, 2013, 2014, fighting starts to die down and, and there's much more of a trend towards skill being important. And Bergman saw that and he was literally banging on the table saying, we have a chance to get the most skilled player in the draft at number eight. Now, I think we can all agree, like Dreisaitl has turned out to probably be the best player in that draft. But if we're looking at it right now, nine years later, like I think Bergman was right. You know, like Willie has turned out to be the most skilled player at the draft. Um, and the fact- Well, 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 wait, wait, wait. I got to interrupt you. Okay. I think you you could make an argument that the most skilled player in the draft is Pasternak, but it's an argument. Like it's it's one of or it's dry settle. It's like it's one of those guys. But even to your point, like with Ehlers, Ehlers is a good player. Ehlers is not as good as Neilander. So like even that, like if you turn that a, a different way and they take Ehlers and they don't take Neilander, it's different. Like I don't think I don't think Ehlers has even hit 70 points in a season. Like he's not in the same class. So it just like highlights what was so good about your story, how important it is to have someone there. And I think another key point from that year is like, that's when Brendan Shanahan takes over and like, he's like, we need more skill. And obviously, you know, they've swerved at different points around that. But was there, was there anybody else like um, that he drafted that you learned a bit about uh, why he drafted them that really interested you? Like, I love that Leo Komarov quote yeah. he had in the story that like is perfect. Was there anybody else who who really stuck out to you? Well, Komarov was the big one as as well, partly because like Komarov was just such a fan favorite. And like anything involved with with Leo Komarov, I think Leafs fans appreciate. But I think the the reason that that um Tommy Bergman really be, became, I guess, swayed by Komarov is the way he watched him in international tournaments. And I think in international tournaments, sometimes young players uh tense up a bit because they know everybody's watching. But, um, I mean, I can just read the quote that Bergman said. He's like, watching Komarov, he drove the Canadians crazy. He was five foot eleven and running everybody. And everybody in, in Finland just effing hated him because he just brought that intensity all the time. And I think that's what's great, too, is, you know, Bergman said to me that he didn't try to change the way that that he scouted or he didn't change the the type of player he suggested based on who the general manager was at the time. Right. Like Brian Burke had his type, Dave, you know, every other GM had their type, but he just believed in in himself and his picks. And, and other scouts that I talked to for the story, they all said, you know, scouting scouts can be in job preservation mode all the time. And so 
when it gets down to it, a lot of scouts will just say, they'll just go with the consensus because they don't want to be wrong and they want to keep their job. But Bergman never did that. And ironically, he has stayed with the organization for 25 years. So, and he did that as well by not kind of having one type of player. Like Nylander is a, is a skill first player, but he didn't only draft skill first Swedes and Komarov is an example of that, right? Totally a good example. I mean, there's others like, you know, Engvall and Janssen and like, obviously Janssen's career has kind of fallen off, but like, that's a good pick at the end of the draft. Probably should give him more picks, although he's winding down as you pointed out. Um, I think that's all we got. Uh, Joshua, any any Swedish stuff you want to touch on before we go? I have something for Josh. You call, you slung an insult at the Hovet Arena there, which I thought was what? was not called for. What? You called it the a- you called it an aging arena. It's not a bad thing. It's Hold a, on, that's not a bad thing. I, I, I it could have been historic, or it could have been uh, you know, like there could have been a lot of adjectives you could have used for Hovet. Yeah, I mean that's the editor and you uh, speaking up, but. I, uh, I've been there. I love I love that arena. Listen, I, when you're, I loved it too. I I've been there for a Champions League game with all the drums playing in the full building. It, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I had a chance to to pull uh, William Loggison aside, who's become this kind of like upstart Swede with the Leafs. He spent a season playing uh, at your beloved Hovet Arena, uh, and he was kind of telling me how strange it was because every time he skated on the ice, there was that one end, I guess the north end, was just full of, I guess, what I would call ultras. You know, like you said, the guys that would bang the drums and lose their minds. And he said it just felt so strange to him to walk on the ice or, you know, for practice and it was so quiet there. Um, that's one thing too, like, um, Siegel, I don't know if if you've kind of picked this up, but like there hasn't been as many people attending Leafs practices as I thought there would be. And I say that because today it was kind of weird, like the Leafs were finishing their practice and there was there had to have been about 200 wild fans in the stands and they brought i don't know if this was planned or not but they brought the wild out to like walk by and just kind of say hello and they got a standing ovation and the, the place went nuts as the leafs were finishing practice uh it was it was kind of strange um in that in that beautiful old building is what i wanted to say <laughs> well it's just like i it's, have you guys been in the the Globe yet? Like, no. It's got a new name now, but the, the Globe. Have you, have, have you gone? Like that's where they're going to play the actual game. Yeah, they've only practiced in um, the just the beloved historic sentimental hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Hobbit used to not have a roof on it. it. That's how old it is. Like, and they just and the roof now is like it's basically like sheets of I don't know tin or whatever. Like, yeah. I'm sure if it like rains or hails when you're in there, it just sounds like. Insane. Yeah, one might call it aging, but I don't know. <laughs> you, you guys, I, I've already said this to Jonas, you got to go to the Vassa Museum, okay? You got to make sure, like, I know you're busy over there and you're seeing games and you're working and whatever, just make sure you, like, fit in two or three hours to go over there. That's on my list of things to do tomorrow. I find, I don't know about you, Siegel, like, it's a, it's a really kind of upbeat and lively and like walkable city like we were out we were walking home to practice today at 4 30 it felt like midnight like it's pitch black here at 4 30 but the streets are just packed with people um and i i don't know i i find that gives some some juice to the city it's it's a it's just a great city to to spend a few days in and you can you, you're starting to feel more and more attention being turned towards these games and the fact that there's nhl players here um 
So yeah, I don't know about you, Siegel. I, I'm loving Stockholm so far. I'm loving it as well. I'm fascinated by everything about it. I can't wait to explore some more. Uh, so that's it. We'll, Joshua and I will be at the games uh, on Friday and Sunday. People stay tuned for those, obviously. Uh, if you want to go read Joshua's story on Tommy Bergman or his story that he wrote uh, this week on William Logason, and we've got a lot more interesting stuff coming from Sweden, go to theathletic.com slash leadforport to sign up and read that. And James, you and I will be back, I think, like next Thursday, I think, or well, what's you, the 23rd? When are you home? We, we got to do a recap of what happens in Sweden. So Yeah, we will. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in. Uh, so stay tuned for later next week because the Leafs will come home and then actually they will, they'll come home and then they'll go right back on the road. Weirdly enough, the schedule sometimes is just bizarre. Like they'll get home from Sweden and then they play a back to back in Chicago and Pittsburgh and like an afternoon game in Chicago. So anyway, Joshua will be there in Chicago and I'll be in Pittsburgh. So. Lots well, to get into. Game's good, right? They're on European time, so there they go. You got it. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks to Punch for producing and go Sweden.